Well, good evening. Hey, let me just say too, if you are in college and you're a young lady and you want to go to the ladies' brunch, then, then I was just talking with Vanessa, you can come for free because we know your budget is tight. Come on. So if you're here and you're a college student, you're a young lady and you were looking at that and you were going, I would love to be able to do something like that, but I, you know, I can't afford to do that, then see uh, Pastor Vanessa at the end of the service and she will get you a ticket and that, that is on us. So we would love to have you come and be with us. So loved Steve's message last week. Come on. If you were here, if you were not here, you can clap for that. I don't think they're here tonight because today is actually their wedding anniversary. They better not be here. Are they here? Get out of here. <laughs> That's so awesome. So they are. Happy anniversary. So good. So good. Divine DNA, the chromosome of the cross, right? It was good stuff. So that podcast is on our website, and uh, you should check it out. It was great being over in Suffolk. I only get over there a few times a year, but we had a great time together. Really feel like while I was there preaching, God really spoke to me about uh, what our next series is going to be uh, coming out of open heaven. So I'm excited about that, how that's going to carry us uh, into the fall. But tonight is a special night. We do these multiple times a year. We call it a welcome weekend. Uh, we've been doing welcome weekends for years here at City Life, and it's just services that we kind of drop onto the schedule, uh, especially when there have been a lot of visitors as of recent, and there certainly has been. There are a lot of visitors tonight, and so we know that you're here because you're asking questions. A lot of you, you're, you're, you're in a search for a church home. And so the Welcome Weekend is set aside uh, as a message to really talk with you about who we are uh, at City Life and hopefully answer some of the questions that you've been asking. And then we always follow up our Welcome Weekends with what we call Discover City Life. And we're going to offer that in two different ways for you. We've never offered two different tracks, but uh, for this year for the first time, which we're excited about, is that we're going to offer Discover City Life for the next two weeks, which is the normal way we do it. So during the sermon, next week and the week after, uh, you can go uh, with Vanessa, uh, and then she's going to walk you through a more detailed uh, journey of who we are as a church, talking about our history and our doctrines and our practice and, and uh, what we, uh, how we approach discipleship. But then I'm also going to lead a life group on Tuesday night, so we'll start the last Tuesday uh, in uh, September, and then the first three Tuesdays in October, we'll be in the chapel right down there uh, where workshop is, uh, where the youth meet on Wednesday. We're going to be there on Tuesday nights, and there's going to be more information. You can do either of those. You might choose to do both of them, right? You might say, I want to be in both settings, and so we would uh, love to have you. So, hey, but just to get us thinking along the right direction tonight, so let's just, uh, ladies, especially wives, just pretend like you can't hear anything that I'm about ready to say. We'll just pretend like the husbands have an earpiece, right? We should start that. We should do the husband earpiece ministry to help the husbands out, right? So this is just for the husbands right here. Marriage is a points-based system. You're about ready to have the opportunity to gain some points in your marriage. All right. So anyways, just to get you thinking along, right, a little bit of commentary here, a little bit of commentary. So I want you to think, husbands and wives, husbands and wives, the first time you met... When you went home to talk to your friends, maybe your parents, and somebody said, how was it? How were they? And you said, right? Husbands, this is an opportunity for you to earn points. All right, so somebody, raise your hand. Husbands or wives? Somebody. Jessica. 
He looks like Aladdin. And he still does, right? Which is not fair for the rest of us. I know. Oh, that's, that's perfect. That's perfect. And that was, just so you know, that's Steve Ruggiero's daughter, right? Your daughter married Aladdin. What did you say? She looks good in Jordash, 1980s, 1980s, come on, I like it. Somebody else, David. She makes really good snickerdoodle cookies. There you go, all right, Marvin. I'm out of my league, marry up, right, marry up. Somebody else, somebody else, how about some of the ladies? Ladies got nothing, they got nothing, right? Uh, there you go, Kim Trees. Fine as wine. Fine as wine. I can't say it like she just said it, but fine as wine. Can you just find Kim Trees after the service and say, say it again. Say it again. So I could. Penny, what did Penny? Nice legs. And now you guys are warming up now. There we go. Somebody else. Somebody else? Sabra? Nice. See? Come on. There we go. The first time parents met the other, right? They said, that's going to be your future husband. That's going to be your future wife. So a little bit of, little bit of prophetic there. Yes. Is that Caitlin over there? Yeah, that's great. Air Force pilot, right? Air Force pilot. And so her dad said, are you sure you want to date a pilot? You made a good choice. You made a good choice. You made a good choice. Can, can I just, can I just say, all right, well, I'll tell you, right? What's mine? I'll tell you mine. Mine was when I came home because she, uh, Vanessa was working as an intern at a law office where my mom worked. And so my mom and my sister were trying to get me uh, to meet Vanessa, right? And so when you're almost 30, which I was, you're not looking for your mother and your sister, right? To, uh, but I'm glad they did. And so after I met Vanessa, I, she is so full of life. That was my quote. And if you know Vanessa, you know that she absolutely is so full of life. So love you. The points, you see? Points. Points. Hey, can, can, I just, can I just say, can I just say, you should have a story like that for the church that you call home. You should have a story like that for the church that you, life is too short for you to not love the church that you call your family. Life's too short for you to, to, to commit yourself to a church that you can't say, I, I love this church, right? Now, I get it that there are times where God calls us to places for a time and a season, and we know that we need to be there out of obedience. But what I would say to you is those are times and seasons that can't define your life in church. What's supposed to characterize your experience in church is that you've got to find a place that you say, I love that place, and then you've you got to have some reasons why you love it. And so what I want to do tonight is I want to talk to you about five reasons why I love the City Life Church. And I hope, I hope, and if you've been a part of this church for any amount of time, that you would say, Fred, those would be on my list too. 
We're going to work out of Luke chapter 5. This is one of our favorite texts for our welcome weekends. We've used it in lots of different ways, so we're going to come back to it tonight. It's a, it's a fascinating story of some of Jesus' early interactions with who would then become the disciples. They're not the disciples yet. Um, it's Luke 5, 1 through 11, and it says, One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him, to listen to the word of God. Now that's a clue to something I'm going to talk about in just a minute about where, when this actually happened. The Bible is divinely inspired. The headings in your Bible are not. You track it with me? The headings in your Bible is the result of an interpretation. And sometimes those headings can mislead us because they interpret it in a way that we would say they didn't do a very good job. And I would say that's true for this. It is the first disciple, as it's listed in my book, but the implication there is that it's one of Jesus' first interactions with him. And I'm going to talk to you a little bit to set this text up of why I don't believe that's the case. Verse 2 says... He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push out into the water. So he sat in the boat, and he taught the crowds from there. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper, and let down your nets to catch some fish. Now, Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing. And really what he's saying is, you're a carpenter, I'm a fisherman, don't tell me how to do my job. Right? Fair enough. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. And this time, listen to what it says, their nets were so full of fish they began to tear and a shout for help brought their partners in the other boat and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking when Simon Peter realized what had happened he fell to his knees before Jesus and said oh Lord please leave me I'm too much of a sinner to be around you for he was awestruck by the number of fish that they had caught as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, sons of Zebedee, right, who Steve preached about last week, the sons, sons of thunder, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Now, you can find a story very similar to this in Matthew chapter 4. And you can also find a story very similar to this in Mark chapter 1. And many people put the Lucan narrative as a uh, synonymous uh, narrative as what Matthew and Mark give us. But I'm of the camp, as many other people are, that the Lucan narrative actually doesn't take place as the initial call of the disciples. And there's some clues in there for us. One is where Luke puts it in the chronology of his gospel. Now one of the reasons why the, the gospel of Luke is so important in the gospel is because of the precision with which he writes. He's a physician by trade, but he's really an early journalist with the history that he gives us. And everywhere else in Luke, and then also Luke gives us the book of Acts, is that he gives great attention to detail to the history and the chronology. And so he puts it in a place that happens much later than Matthew 4 and Mark 1. We also have this clue there in the first couple of verses where it talks about massive crowds begin to gather. The reason why there were massive crowds is because Jesus has been ministering now for several months. The early crowds for Jesus soon after his baptism were not as big. It was just the crowd that had already gathered. And so this clue tells us that he's been ministering for some time. That's significant for us because it tells us here that his interaction with these men, with Peter and James and John, and it's understood that Andrew is there because that's Simon's brother, that this is not the first time they've been with Christ. 
In fact, we know when you put it into the right chronological order, we know that these men have actually been traveling with Jesus for several months, which tells us that the disciples, their early interaction with Christ was more itinerant in nature. It was more intermittent. They would travel with him, then they would come home. They would travel with him, and then they would come home. But it's at the end of this encounter with Christ that something dramatically happens for them as they see Jesus perform yet another miracle. And it's from this moment forward leads us into Luke chapter 6 where Jesus calls them to be the 12 and they lay down all of their life and follow him for the rest of their days. It's an important observation is this first thing that I'm getting ready to talk about. One of the things I love about the City Life Church is that Jesus was not in a hurry with these men. He took time. He was patient. He knew that they needed some space to make the decision for themselves as to whether or not they were going to be all in with life with him. I think so many times, see, this is one of the reasons why I love this story put in the right place, is that we look at these early disciples and it was as though Jesus comes onto the scene, he was a complete stranger, and they left everything to follow him immediately. But that's not really what happened. It took them time to get there. This is one of the biggest mistakes that I believe that churches make is they're not willing to be patient with people and to give them time to get to the place that they know they need to be. One of the reasons why I love this church is that city life is patient. This church is a place of patience. Listen to verse 3. It says, stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. It's interesting to me that Jesus does not ask his permission to get into the boat, right? Even though he knows, if you know boaters, boaters are friendly until you board their boat without permission. Then it's a different story. He gets onto the boat without permission. But when he gets on, he changes his attitude to one of beginning to make requests and extending invitations, This little part right here in scripture talks to us about how Jesus modeled his ministry with these disciples early on. He showed up and it felt abrupt, but then immediately he began to extend invitations to them because he knew that they had to make a choice for themselves. At City Life, we are bold in our beliefs, but we're patient with people. We're bold in our beliefs, but we're patient with people. If you're new here, there might be parts of our church or things that we believe that feel abrupt to you. Just like in the text, it feels like something just showed up into your life and it makes you a little bit uncomfortable and you're not sure you want it to be there. But then the way we move forward from there with you is that we want to begin to extend invitations to you, not make demands of you. We want to reveal things about scripture to you, but not require things of you. So many people, they miss out on the journey that they're supposed to have with Christ because they let the abruptness of the moment, come on, they let the the feeling of the abruptness of the moment deter them from embracing the decision that they know that they're supposed to make. Sometimes Jesus shows up, it feels abrupt. But that's the way it is with everything for the rest of your life that Jesus is going to ask you to do. It's always going to seem more than what you think you're capable of. It's always going to feel like it's bigger than what it could be, what you're capable of with your own character flaws and your history. That's the journey of all of us. 
Jesus sees beyond our past. He sees beyond who we are in the moment. He sees who we're going to become, and it feels abrupt at first. But what I would say to you is give him a chance and go on a journey with him. He unapologetically shows up. It can feel abrupt. He directs them through invitations because they must choose for themselves. And this is the part that I love the most. Future mistakes don't disqualify present participation. He knew everything that these people were going to do. Let's just talk about Peter for a moment. Right? Bad words tend to come out of his mouth. He likes to start fights. He's a little rough around the edges. And if you're Catholic, let me introduce you to your first pope. This is him, right? He's, he, in, his, in, his, in his years with Jesus, even after being with Jesus for three years, what's the culmination of his life? Is a betrayal and cursing and abandoning his call. So I'm just saying, if you're having an opportunity to pick some people to work with, to, 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 to do life with, and God were to show you every mistake they're ever going to make, how many of us would still say, I'll take them anyways? But that's what Jesus did. He saw every failing. He saw every mistake they were going to make. And you know what he said? That's all the more reason why I need them to be with me. Because he knew what we like to say here at City Life is that participation is what brings transformation. He knew that Peter would change. And what was going to change him was the invitation to be a part of what Jesus was doing even before he was qualified to do it. This is part of what City Life believes about people. Bold in our beliefs but patient with people is that we're going to let you participate before you're qualified because it is the participation that brings the qualification. You might see people in blue shirts and maybe you've run into them at the store and you would say, well, I was there when they dropped that jar of pickles and you wouldn't believe what came out of their mouth and here they are taking up the offering on Saturday night. And what I would say to you, you better believe it because participation brings transformation. You might even say of yourself, I'm not sure I should be than just however you serve because of whatever you fill in the blank of what you did. And I would say, no, 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 because of what you did, that's why you need to serve because participation brings transformation. City life is a place of patience. Are there boundaries? Are there exceptions to that? Sure. Working with our kids, that's another conversation. We don't want what you say when you drop a jar of pickles on your foot teaching them a new vocabulary in the kids' ministry. There's a higher standard with working with children, right? There's a level of expectation about spiritual maturity. For leadership, this is part. There are boundaries, yes, in certain places and in certain ways, but we're going to cast the net wide in every other area here at the City Life Church. City Life is a place of patience. Another reason why I love this church is because City Life is active, City life is active. You can't be intentional as a disciple and not be active. You cannot be intentional as a disciple and not be active. Look at verse 2. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. I love the kind of boats that Jesus got into. He got into boats that were working vessels. 
Were there other kind of boats that were there? You better believe that there was. On the Sea of Galilee 2,000 years ago, people had pleasure boats like people have pleasure boats today. There were tour boats there, just like there would be tour boats in bodies of water today. That was a business that would have been there, just as there. But he didn't get into those boats. He didn't get into the, the boats that were more about pleasure and tourism and relaxing and resting. He got into the boats where people worked. And the reason why he picked that is because he was trying to teach us something about life and community. That there's a labor that's going to have to come. There's a work that we've got to be willing to do. I get it. One of the reasons why it's great to, go, great to go on a cruise is because everything's included, right? One of the reasons why it's so fun to go to all-inclusive resorts is because everything's in. You get waited on. You get out from the table. People are waiting on you. There's times and places where we need to be in environments like that. If you've got teenagers, then you can teach them to wait on you at home. <laughs> All of us need to be in places where we are being served. I get that. I understand that. But that can't characterize your life. You were created to serve other people, to give your life to work and to labor. I remember for our five-year anniversary, we went down to the Dominican Republic to a resort there. It was an amazing vacation. Uh, Derek was, was just a few years old. We were pregnant with, with uh, Ethan, and we paid for uh, uh, Vanessa's sister to go to be Derek's nanny. And uh, they had the most amazing homemade rum raisin ice cream at this resort. I had rum raisin ice cream at every single meal. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I'm like, I'll take the ice cream. Just bring it. They serve their coffee with sweetened condensed milk. Praise the name of the Lord. If you think sweet tea is sweet, which I like to talk about a lot, you haven't tasted sweet until you have coffee with sweetened condensed milk. Every meal, rum raisin ice cream, sweetened condensed milk. But you can't live there. You can't live in a place of excess. You can't live in a place of being sedentary. God created you to work. He created you to serve. He created you to build his kingdom. Daniel 1.17, God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And he gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meaning of visions and dreams. God wants to write a verse like that about you because he's done it for you. He's given you something, an ability to build his kingdom. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, listen to what it says. A spiritual gift is given to most. No. A spiritual gift is given to some. No. A spiritual gift is given to each of us. Listen, listen to what Paul says. So we can help each other. So we can serve. So we can be active. So we can give our lives to the building of the kingdom of heaven. I talk to pastors all the time who share their frustration about the 80-20 rule. You're familiar with that, right? Where 20% of the people do 80% of the work. That does not happen here at the City Life Church. That's not part of the dynamic of this community. I would say we probably have something more like 90-10 or 95-5. If you call this your home, then you're active here because this is part of the culture and the community of our church. Are there exceptions to that? Sure. People that are new. Another exception to that is sometimes people come into here, they're broken and they're wounded. Sometimes they've been broken and wounded by the church. The last thing that they need is to get involved right away. They just need to be a, have a safe place they can come to and heal. And we say we will be that place for you. But at some point, listen to me, at some point, your healing will not take a turn until you begin to serve other people. I love this place because we are patient. I love this place because we are active. And I love this place because we are hopeful. City life is hopeful. 
Verse 5, Master Simon replied, we worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. Again, the prophetic imagery of this text is so powerful. Here we see these boats at the water's edge. The implication is they are moored some way. They're tied to something. Even if they're run aground, there's going to be a rope with a spike that kind of secures it onto the beach. They are tethered to that shore. They're tethered to a safe place. That's not an accident because the first time that the word hope is used in the Bible, there is a certain word in the Hebrew that the Holy Spirit inspires the writer to use that's a little bit curious. Now, hope's a pretty significant word. I think we would agree when it comes to our relationship with God, when we think about the Christian experience. And I'm just telling you, I think it probably should have appeared in the Bible a little bit sooner, but it doesn't. You can get through all of Genesis and the word hope. There's over 10 words in Hebrew language for hope. Not one of them appear in Genesis. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, right? Some, some of you, that's where you needed it because that's where you stop in reading the Bible through the year every year, right? Genesis, you can, it's okay to write in your Bible. Just write hope right at the top of Leviticus. You add it in there. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. You know how many times the word hope appeared? None. Not one time. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, nope, Judges, uh uh-uh, Ruth. Eight books in. Why is that? It's part of the law of first mention. I think there was a reason why he doesn't put it in until you get eight books in. It's because God is trying to build to this moment of of, of, of something dramatic to get our attention. Because the first time it's mentioned, this law for mention means it becomes the context for how we understand hope for all of the rest of Scripture. He makes us wait for it, and then he drops it in Ruth 1.12, where, where Ruth says, Return my daughters, go, for I am too old. This is out of the New American Standard, for I'm too old to have a husband. If you don't know the context, you've got to read the book of Ruth yourself. If I said, listen to what she says, if I said I had hope, the first time the Bible uses the word hope, it's not because she has hope, but it's because she's hopeless. If I had hope, she says, and the word there in the Hebrew is the same word for a cord or a piece of string or a rope. And this is an important part of hope because that's what hope does to us. It tethers us, it connects us to a belief that something better is going to happen. God uses that word here in the book of Ruth because Ruth does not believe that something better is going to happen. And she's the perfect candidate for hope. Because true hope is when you're facing something that seems so far beyond yourself that unless God does something, you're going to continue in a place of despair. I think there's a reason why hope is entered into this text here in Luke chapter 5. Because Jesus is trying to teach these disciples something important about hope. The reason why he says, hey, untether these boats from the shore and launch back out into the deep is because he's teaching them and he's teaching us that sometimes you have to untether your life from the things that make you feel safe and tie onto a dream that God has for you so that you can experience true hope for some of you for the very first time. Psalm 27, 13, 
I would have lost heart if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It's a hallmark verse for us at City Life Church. Ephesians 3.20, now, all glory to God who is able to do what? Exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine. It's a hallmark verse for us here at the City Life Church because we are hopeful. Hebrews 6.19, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Times of failing before seasons of thriving. That's why Ecclesiastes 3.11 is so important for us. It says that everything, listen to what it says, yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. Now, if you read the list that comes before that, you might say, I'm not sure that's the right word to describe it because it's the verse about seasons. And some of those seasons are bad seasons. They're not the seasons that we pick. But the Holy Spirit in inspiring Solomon here in writing Ecclesiastes, he doesn't say just the ones that I would choose are beautiful. He says all things are beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. When you're in one of the seasons you don't want to be in, come on, those are the times that you need hope because they tether you and connect you to the season that's coming. Don't give up in your season of failing because seasons of thriving are right around the corner. You don't experience hope until you're past the point of no return. You might experience a something that we call hope, right? Because we just have one word and so we use it for everything. But re I mean real hope, the virtue of hope. It's not a feeling that you have until you've passed the point of no return. For some of you, you know what I'm talking about. We could bring people up here, married couples. We could tell you their story and you would say, Fred, you're making that up. I know this couple, right? Yeah, but you didn't know them then. You didn't know them five years ago when they were hopeless. But they found hope. They found hope in community. People began to speak into them. People began to give them a vision for what the future could be, and they tethered their life. Come on, they connected themselves. For some of them, it was unsafe. For some of them, they had to risk being hurt again. For some of them, they had to risk being betrayed again. And I'm not saying every time that you're facing a situation like that in your marriage, it's the right thing to fight for it. Sometimes God leads to walk away. We get that. We understand that. But every time can't be a giving up. Sometimes you've got to find the courage to hope. There are people in this room right now, if we told you their story, you wouldn't believe the addictions that they suffered under, the lifestyles that they live, for some people the financial ruin that they have walked out of. If you're in a place right now of despair, what I would say to you, you're going to find here people who believe in hope and can help you find it again. I love that those disciples in that moment had to decide we are going to disconnect and untether these boats from the place that we feel safe and we're going to tether ourselves to the command of Christ and we're going to hope in him. We want to teach you at this church how to live a life where you tether yourself to the commands of Christ and in that place you will find all the hope that you need. I love this church because city life is unified. We are unified. Let me tell you what I mean by that. In verse 7, it says, A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. One of the things I love about this church is that we recognize that we are not the only church in the 757. There are lots of boats that are in these waters, and they are great boats with great people. Too many churches adopt a mindset and an attitude of, of being in competition with one another. We cannot be in competition with one another. We need to serve one another. 
It's why we're part of groups like the Virginia Unity Project. It's one of the reasons why, if you come to Discover City Life, we're going to talk more about it. One of the primary reasons why Saturday Life is important to us is because it gets us off the time slot that most churches want so that we can partner and share with them. Being a part of North Riverside Baptist here, being a part of Faith Lutheran for our, our Suffolk campus. We've been saying, for 10 years, we've been saying, one day we're going to have property ourselves. And when we do, guess what we're not doing? We're not launching a Sunday morning service. Because that's what makes it possible for us to partner at the level that we do. Somebody's got to give up the prime slot so people can work together. Now what they don't realize is that we're the ones that actually have a time slot that's prime. Because <laughs> my alarm clock does not go off on Sunday mornings. At all. Just saying. Just saying. We're part of a group that meets monthly, pastors from all different denominations, from all different churches, people of different ethnicities. We serve ministries like CareNet, the, which is the crisis pregnancy center here, parachurch organizations that have affiliations and connections to all different kinds of churches, right? Because we are unified with the body of Christ here in the city. I'm going to stuff at the Peninsula Baptist Association all the time. I love Chuck Harrison, the gift that he is, the apostle that he is to this region and to this city. As a church, we commit ourselves to Elam Fellowship, which is based out of Lima, New York, which is an organization for non-denominational churches like ours that believe how we believe and do ministry like we do it. You, you cannot, if, I'm telling you, I'm telling, we met with a family not too long ago and, who was visiting the church and they had their list of questions and, and, uh, and, they, and at the end they said, are there questions that we should be asking? And, and so then I said, yeah, you should add these to your list because if City Life isn't the place that you're going to call home and you go visit, there should be some other things that you're asking. And one of those churches should be, who are you accountable to? Every church, if you're just out there doing your own thing, it's not safe. You should be unified. You should be unified for the accountability that it brings, but ultimately you should be unified because you're answering Jesus' prayer. John 17, 20 to 21, this is Jesus' prayer, right? I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe, that's you and me, in me through their message. And I pray, listen to what he says, that they will be one just as you or I are one. Who is he talking? He's talking about God. It's not about the Father, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's no greater unity that exists in the universe except for them. And that's the standard. That's his prayer. That's hope. This is what it says. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I'm telling you, one of the great reasons why the world is suspicious of the church is because we continue to refuse to walk in the unity that Christ has called us to. And the world's like, i got enough drama in my own life. Why do I want to become a part of a church and just add drama to my life? The church should be the one that's setting an example for how people who are believed differently, think differently, have different life experiences. Come on, we should be setting the example for how diversity can come into harmony. And unfortunately, sometimes we're the biggest culprits. Not here. We're going to stand with other churches. Not standing on our own, but standing together. This is the last one. One of the things I love about city life is that it's changing. It's changing. Verse 5, Peter calls Jesus master. 
In the Greek, that's the word epistates. And that means authority. It's really a term of respect more than it is surrender. You would think that when he calls him master, it's, it's, it's really a, a moment of submission, but it's not. That's not what epistates means. It means I recognize that you are a master, but it doesn't necessarily mean I want you to be my master. You tracking with me? But then you get to verse 8. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus, and he says, oh, and he does not say epistates here. And if your Bible, like my Bible, shifts it, he doesn't say master, he calls him Lord, and that's the Greek word kyrios, which means the power to control and direct. Really what kyrios means is that I want you to be the master of me. See, at first you see Peter acknowledging that Jesus is a master. But now in this moment where he has this supernatural encounter, and it's not his first supernatural encounter, it took many supernatural encounters for Peter, right? Because this is months after his baptism with John the Baptist. He had to see lots of things, right? This is the idea of patience coming in again. Churches have to be patient with people. We want people to be all in. We want them to, right, to go from epistates to kyrios in one day. But sometimes it takes months, sometimes it takes years. But Peter got there. He got to this place where he fell on his knees and, and he was saying, I want you to be the master of my everything. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. Listen to this verse. We've done a whole welcome weekend just on this verse alone, but I just want to introduce it to you tonight. It's Matthew 13, 52. It says, then he added every teacher of religious law who becomes a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like a homeowner who brings from his storeroom, listen to this, new gems of truth as well as old. In the New American Standard, it, it, it talks about new treasures and old treasures. City life is a place where we don't let things that aren't supposed to be treasures forever stand in the way of people knowing Jesus as both master and Lord. City life is always going to be a place that's changing. Because churches fail, churches become irrelevant when they begin to take traditions that are supposed to change and they make them timeless. And things that churches give timelessness to that were supposed to change becomes an impediment for them reaching their world. And that's not going to be who we are at City Life. The style of music, it's going to change over time, right? Decor, uh, organizational structures, right? Uh, uh, missions emphasis that we might have. Places where we're active in the world. Stylistically, culturally, even things that we would say are sacred to us now. It doesn't necessarily mean it's always supposed to be that way. Are there things that are supposed to be timeless? Yes, and that why, that's why that verse is given to us. It brings out of his storehouse treasures both new and old. Meaning that there are some things that are, are supposed to be timeless. There are supposed to be things that don't change. There are certain doctrinal positions that even if Jesus doesn't come back for 10,000 years, they will not change, and they should not change. Sometimes things that are unique to a church, like a calling, like mandates, like I believe that we've been given a mandate from God to partner with others and to be a place of rest, and so Saturday night is our day. I don't think that's ever going to change for us as a church. That's part of who we are. It's not like it's a doctrine, but it's part of our calling. And so it's unique to us. 
And we are not as a church, and that's why we bring so many leaders together and share from the benefit of collective wisdom to always be discerning of the things that need to change and the things that should never change. Because if you don't get those things right, I'm telling you, those are the churches that are empty today. We're going to be a place that changes. Stand with me. Father, I pray for people that are here tonight that are maybe asking some questions about the church that they're supposed to call home. God, whether it's City Life Church or whether it's one of the other amazing churches that are in this region, whichever church you lead them to, I pray, I pray that they're going to be able to say, I love my church. There's going to be a reason. There's going to be a list. There's going to be a, a, a first impression. And that you are going to bind their heart to that community so it becomes their family and that they are going to pour out their lives for the sake of your gospel and for your greater glory. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together.